Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face, my friends. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today we are talking about the power of story. Each one of us has a story to tell about where we've come from, who we believe ourselves to be, who we would like to be, in fact. And the power of story to heal, to transform our lives, is something that fits prominently in the work that I do and the people that I I get the good fortune of meeting on a daily basis. And today we're talking about story, really. We're talking about the hero's journey, the shiro's journey, Um, that journey that lies within each one of us that is pregnant with possibilities. And my first guest is Carol S. Pearson. She is a world-renowned expert on depth psychology and transformational leadership. She served most recently as president of Pacifica Graduate Institute and speaks and consults with many groups, universities, and businesses around the world. She recently moved with her husband from sunny California, my neck of the woods, to Washington, D.C. And she is the author of several books, and her newest, which we will be speaking about today, is Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within. Welcome, Carol. Thanks for joining us. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, Well, I, I, I am anxious to get into the subject matter of the heroine and what separates the hero's journey versus the shiro's journey that is beneath gender? Well, um, the, right now in the world, um, women um, and heroines, sheroes, uh, seem much more connected to the future um, and to the call of the future than a lot of men do, which does not mean that um, the masculine journey can't have that. In fact, 
uh, you know, in Joseph Campbell's work, he he always talked about the hero as the um, as the bringer of new life to a dying culture. But right now, there are many qualities that women have, and I think they have to do with um, the history of being the primary caregivers of children. It's the next generation. Um, mm-hmm. And concerned about the future of the next generation, not just about, you know, quarterly profits, not just about, um, you know, how we can uh, do everything we want, um, uh, but recognizing the impact on the earth that it might have. Women are the primary people that right now who are um, who are keeping movements like the peace movement, like the environmental movement, most of the liberation movements. Uh, alive and uh, moving forward, there women uh, flock to experiences that help them develop their capacities, and I think that's because a lot of it, some of us, because it's a little harder right now in the culture still to be a woman than to be a man. Um, but I think more, it's an intuitive sense that as human beings, if we don't develop our capacities, and many of the capacities you're talking about, our capacities to care for one another, our capacities to care for ourselves, our capacity to have a sense of what enough is as opposed to stuffing ourselves with food and having to have more and more money and more and more fame and more and more of this, more possessions, of realizing enough um, that I think women are leading the way right now. And the heroine then can be seen as the nurturer, as tapping into perhaps more of the intuitive sides of, yeah, of, both of our those. nature. Yeah, there um, there's two characters in the in the story that I use as the basis for uh, my book Persephone Rising. One of them is Demeter, which actually literally is was Greek for, uh, ancient Greek for the mother. <laughs> and that's the, you know, the energy of the, it's a story of a character that embodies care and love. And, and you know, what the major religions of the world tell us we must love one another and uh, love our neighbor as ourselves and embodies, embodies that um, opening of the heart. And her daughter, Persephone, um, is more the int- embodies the intuition, um, embodies the urge that I think women also have in both in traditional religions and in the New Age and in various kinds of spiritual paths to not just follow um, a, a religious or a spiritual path by its rules and its practices, but to have some authentic experience. And even whether or not, um, whether or not women see themselves as spiritual or religious or believe in a God, there's an urge for connecting with something deeper. Um, And that deeper connection is what makes the intuition flow. So there is that sense of, what do I do next? And for many women, um, and in Persephone in this myth, um, there is a connection of who I am um, and what I do based on what I love, uh, you know, and it could be certainly um, a husband or a partner. Um, it could be a, a, a cause, a job, um, friends, why this friend, why not that friend? Um, 
and that kind of call by love as opposed to call by more ego-oriented ambition is something that um, women, I think, excel at. Something pops into my mind when you say called by love, and if one looks at the traditional um, storyline of the monomyth, there is the call to adventure. Is, is there a parallel in, in the hero versus the shero's journey in the way we are called? Um, yes. <laughs> um, first of all, um, you know, when I talk about masculine and feminine, uh, I think there's masculine and feminine in all of us, and I've been talking about where I think women lead, but um, I think the mas- you know, we have the hero and the heroine within us, and men have the hero and the heroine within them. So what I'm about to say is not what women can or cannot do or what men can or cannot do. The call to adventure is something in all of us, and we all have it. And it is, but it is more the masculine side of the journey, taking off to just see what is there. And in the story that I write about, um, Persephone actually gets abducted. <laughs> um, <she's> a, <laughs> That's quite the call, and, right? Yeah, she's abducted into the underworld um, by this charming and handsome lord of the underworld. Uh, it's kind of like a romance novel, um, you know. Being, <laughs> and, but it's not meant to be taken literally. It's that you know, it's if you're pulled by love, you get abducted into all kinds of things. Into all oh kinds my! Of Isn't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> Many of us can relate to that. You know, it could be, you know, it could be a job. I mean, it doesn't have to be a man or a woman. But uh, there is that sense more often more often, and I think it's because the feminine has this more care and we don't want to leave people and we're worried about the people around us and we want to do it and we tend to, then love calls us to something and then we're abducted into it and then um, we have to grow. Because almost always, uh, you know how people right now are saying to visualize what you want, and I do that. In fact, I actually drew the house that I eventually lived in um, in Santa Barbara. So I believe in visioning and that you can, hey, yeah, I can live this. Um, but there's a limitation to that because very often what we think we want is not what we need. And this um, this process of being abducted into, uh, into something, something calls us and we don't know why, and we go there, and almost always there's a challenge that's as big as the you know, on the hero challenge, there's a dragon to be killed and, you know, those kinds of things. There's a challenge that is such a profound challenge to become more than we were before. Um, and for I got interested in this particular um, story when I was, years ago, the one I'm writing about in, or, or wrote about in Persephone Rising, um, years ago um, when I was starting out and visualizing things and I had just gotten the perfect job in the perfect place and found the perfect man (laughs) for me. Um, And then the bottom dropped out. Uh, I was called by love in all those ways. Um, But he had three children and the youngest one drowned. Oh, my. uh, While being with a a babysitter. And that, you know, that plummeting into grief um, and that, also realization that stuff happens 
you know, no matter how positive you are, no matter whatever, stuff happens. And, you know, in retrospect, I realize it um, it made me grow in a way I never would have if everything just was, you know, peachy keen. Uh, I had to face myself. I had to face um, how, you know, I had to face the grief. I had to face then becoming a family with a family locked in grief. Um, and, of course, you know, continue with my job and everything else. And I think it's like that. And, and it's even like that, I think, for people who get into, who um, sometimes when we're, sometimes we're beckoned by things that are actually harmful. But I've known people who have been beckoned into an addictive path um, that caused them to grow in a way they never would have if they hadn't. If they hadn't done that. Carol, we're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, I'd love to stay on this topic that uh, really calls us to talk about the dark nights of the soul or, or the underworld and how the power of story can help us transform that journey. We're going to go to a break. To learn more, please visit carolspearson.com. On Facebook, the page is quite unique. It is CSP. The Hero Within. And on Twitter, that handle is at Carol S. Pearson. And once again, the title of the book is Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within, Using the Power of Story to Transform Your Life. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on Addiction, an Integrated Journey to Wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Saturday afternoons on 97.5. Joy riding the coast with a global vibe, pleasing your ears and inspiring your mind. Joy riding the coast with me, Lisa Cypress Cayman. Saturdays, 2 to 5, on 97.5. KBU and RadioMalibu.net. 
Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the power of story and the power of myth in service to transforming our lives. And with me is Dr. Carol S. Pearson. She is the author of Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within, Using the Power of Story to Transform Your Life. And prior to the break, we were talking about adversity. We are talking about when we are confronted with the depths and the dark nights of the soul or a very frightening a traumatic thing that happens to us, and the ability to use this hero's journey or shiro's journey, the model and the mythology, to tap into transforming it. So, Carol, let's talk a little bit because you touched upon a, a, a personal story of trauma and your experience. So, maybe you could add more of your own reflections and how you utilized this structure of story in service to healing and transforming a very, very difficult event in your life? Well, it helped that I actually knew knew that, one, I was comforted by the story of Demeter and Persephone um, because when I lost um, a stepchild um, uh, and um, her story... Her ancient story was really about the abduction of her child and to the underworld where she believed she was dead. And so there was the sense of being comforted by a sense of um, a story that's archetypal, which means that it's a story that would be in any culture at any time because parents suffer, not just mothers, but parents suffer um, when something happens to their child. And I realized I was totally not alone in what I was going on, that this was a human experience. And the other part that helped me was recognizing was recognizing that um, love is a call to go inward and to touch into who we really are, but so is suffering. And that, and, you know, we can, in this culture particularly, we can live at the surface of life very easily and be entertained all the time. But we need something to make us connect in, connect in to who we really are. We'll never live an authentic life. And oftentimes it is those catastrophic events that catapult us into that journey of reflection, of making meaning, and transcendence. Right, and it's the emptying out that allows something to treat you, some new possibility to trickle up from the unconscious um, and where the new idea comes that allows us sometimes to go through metamorphosis to become almost a new person. And the emptying out that you speak of is is a metaphoric death. 
being willing to let go of some part of ourselves that can no longer live in the new paradigm. Right. And that can be big or it can be every day. <laughs> you know? oh. <laughs> or both, right? <laughs> I think I'm going to let go of this pattern I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let go exactly. Of the story I tell myself. I, I keep telling my story, you know, myself that I'm not okay. Or I keep telling myself that I'm a victim. Um, I can shift that story. Um, and, it, you know, just the practice every day of shifting the story that we're telling, becoming mindful of what story is going through my head right now and what story could be going through my head right now. And the beauty of story is it's just that. It's the creative telling of a perception. Right. And none of us can, in truth, none of us can experience the world the way it is. It's too complex, too much sense, it's too much stuff coming at us, and we're filtering it always through the story in our mind. Um, so that the, literally the world changes when we see it differently. And the reason that seeing it differently requires images and stories is because that links the mind with the heart and our feelings, the feelings and the thoughts. Um, and it's only when the feelings are changed as well as the thoughts that our act actions can change. And this is really important when it comes to dealing or brokering with suffering. And I think that many of us, our listeners, and you and I could agree that when we are undergoing suffering as a result of a painful event, it is the relationship to that suffering afterwards that allows us to either remain in, perpetuate, remain in or perpetuate the needless part of the suffering or allows us to begin to heal. Absolutely. And I think that is very stunning and very liberating for those yeah. of us who are undergoing challenges. Mm -hmm. you know, we can think of it as an initiation, you know, that most people um, on the planet go through. Um, if we allow it to change us and to deepen us and to make us better people, more empathic, more caring, um, more risk-taking, like, um, um, usually more risk-taking, which doesn't kick in until we know we can survive what just happened. Yeah, which is confronting the, the quote-unquote you know, worst nightmare and, and stepping in into that fear yeah. paired with some courage. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's huge. <laughs> that, that, that's huge. That is the elixir, right? Or part uh, of it. It is. Love and courage are the secret to life, in my view. And humor. Yeah, and humor. <laughs> that's what I would add. Humor is, 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 uh -huh. is very helpful. Uh -huh. um, th let's talk about the four archetypes. We talked about um, um, Persephone. We talked about, mm -hmm. I, and I always say this wrong, a, a Demeter, I think, is correct, correct? Actually, it's Demeter. I say it Demet wrong. <laughs> okay, well, I was following um, your lead because you're the expert. Yeah. Okay, so Demeter. And, and there are two more, uh, Zeus and Dionysus. Talk a little yeah. bit. Let's just recap the, um, the four stories that each of them have to tell. Okay, and one of the great things about the, the stories that I, that I actually use in the book to help people understand their lives today is that each of these, actually, they're ancient gods and goddesses. Um, it's not only that they embody an archetypal story that means it's a, a fundamental human story that helps us grow. 
Um, but they also start out with a lesser version of the story, a not very satisfying version of the story, and move to a better one, which is really cool. And as they live their stories, if we live their stories, it actually um, triggers the, um, the production in our body of happiness chemicals, uh, so, which is just a totally cool thing. Um, so I guess I'll start with Zeus and Dionysus because I haven't talked about them at all. And you notice there's, there, even though this is the heroine's journey, they're two male figures, and that's because it's important that heroines as well as heroes connect with their masculine sides. And Zeus is the chief god, and he is, um, boy, is he organized and confident, and I mean, he's like a corporate CEO. Um, and, and, <laughs> I love and the image. <laughs> he's the focus, and he's focused on what he wants, and he goes for it, and he tracks power relationships very well. Most of us as women need to learn to do this if we're going to make it in the political or the corporate world. Um, and uh, and and his way of being promotes dopamine in our bodies, um, and helps us also connect with our. Uh, and, and in a lesser way, helps us connect with what are we good at, and how do we go? How do we really focus focus our energies to be successful to what we're good at, and um, what we enjoy doing? Um, his problem is he's arrogant, and he, he's really compensating for a weak ego by becoming very arrogant. He doesn't listen to Demeter, and during in the story, he learns. He, she creates a famine, so he learns to listen. Um, and it's when he, it's, it's, this is the ego strength. This is about ego strength. He learns to know how good he is at what he does, have a lot of confidence, but not be arrogant and really listen to other people. And, and Dionysus? And Dionysus is a god of dance and joy. And he is, he is, he invented vaca- the, the uh, vacations and drama, entertainment and vacations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he is the god of he would call women out to dance and they'd go into the woods and dance wildly um, and he is the god of being in the moment and just in the pleasure of being alive in your body in the world and we all need that as a balance to how stressful our lives are um, meanwhile we have um, Demeter who is helping us the oxytocin to flow because she's busy caring for other people and in her story, she learns to care for, she learns to not just martyr herself by caring for everybody else, but to stand up for herself and also get what she wants and balance care for self with care for others. And that's when the oxytocin flows. And oxytocin is also flowing um, from the journey of, uh, of Persephone, which is about uh, a wider, deeper love that comes from the authentic call of Eros, Eros in our lives. Um, and she's the one, and she starts out, and she's a fundamental optimist. She just believes everything is going to be okay. Um, and when she gets abducted, what she has to learn is that she can make it okay. Um, it's not just that life will be good to her, but that she can make it okay by making good choices and to make the best of whatever her choices are and sometimes explode those choices so something happens that no one would have expected at all. Um, and so those are the four. 
Wow. And there's a lot to be learned from the ancient Greeks and how we can use the wisdom of the story, both ancient and present, to transform ourselves. We are out of time. I, I, we have blown through this conversation, and I'm a, I'm a little bit shocked because there was so much more I wanted to speak with you about, so you'll have to come back another time. I'd love um, to do that. I would love that, too. The book is Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within, Using the Power of Story to Transform Your Life. And to connect with Dr. Carol S. Pearson, please visit carolspearson.com. And on Facebook, the page is a bit of a unique handle, and I'm going to read it to you. It's CSP, the hero within. And at Twitter, the handle is at Carol S. Pearson. And Carol, I wanted to just, we have like a few seconds, and, and to make a, just a quick wrap-up, if there are maybe one or two simple tools that you can give people who are embarking or in the midst of their hero or shiro's journey, what would that be? Well, I would go here to um, the toolkit. That um, The book ends with a toolkit, which is really about monitoring what stories you're living, noticing, um, recognizing, critiquing stories that are coming at you that other people are telling you, finding the stories that fill you with joy and hope, um, and also telling stories that make a difference in the world, telling a story that, that help other people connect with their hearts and their minds uh, and their deeper selves uh, to have a positive impact on the way uh, the, you and others are seeing the world. And the toolkit is available within Persephone Rising? It's the concluding chapter. Perfect. I, I actually have the book and I'm reading it, but I'm not that far along in it. So I look forward to arriving there myself. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back to continue the power and the, and of story and mythology. Let's redo that one line, Karina. We'll be right back to continue the discussion about the power of story. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at HarvestingHappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user-friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's HarvestingHappiness.com. Lisa Cypress-Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. 
Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Two, three. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download this podcast and share it because we are talking about the hero's journey. We're talking about the mythic and very real adventure that each one of us as human beings are called to take. And with me in the studio is Bob Walter. He is the president and executive director of the Joseph Campbell Foundation. And Bob, I just want to jump right into this. We're going to talk a little bit about you and how you arrived on your journey into the midst of Joseph Campbell. But I think it's important to really understand the power and presence of Joseph Campbell's work. In the world today, I mean, Joe's become a, a kind of a touchstone or a hallmark. Uh, with a really wide embrace, and it's 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 a um, you know in the context of the hero's journey, it's it's also interesting to note that that really at the time of his death, he, he was something of a prophet without country. Uh, he had you know been many years without publishing a book. He he continued to pursue his work. He was known in some circles, but all of uh, his celebrity is posthumous. Um, even though the book that inspires the conversation, The Hero's Journey, was written in 1948, and it had always kind of percolated along as being uh, a text to, to, that was reckoned with by philosophers and artists and creative types, it, it really didn't um, surface into the broad public. Uh, and, well, the 60s it did. In the 60s, Joe said, I knew something was going on in the 60s because there was an extra zero on my hero with a thousand faces royalty check. So <laughs> it became, it became a, a, if you will, a, a roadmap for psychic explorers. But it made the New York Times bestsellers list 50 years after it was published, or 50 more years after Bill Moyers and the Power of Myth with Joseph Campbell aired. It roared onto the bestsellers list. And, uh, and in fact, Subsequently, was named by Time Magazine one of the 100 most um, influential books of the 20th century. So, so I, I put that in context because what we're going to talk about in short term and short here, um, Lisa, really is a, a the, the the most um, uh, acute condensation of of what is a, a, a work that one wants to swim in, and therefore it's somewhat humbling to try to. Pre- uh, present a condensation. So I, I really, you know, use this as a, as a sort of infomercial to say to folks, check out The Hero with a Thousand Faces for a more in-depth um, discovery of, of what we're going to, we're going to just skim the surface of. 
Indeed, this is just the surface. But your story of the Bill Moyers interviews reminds me of how I came to know the work of Joseph Campbell. I used to live in New York City, and at the time, there was a doorman in my building who was aware of the work that I was doing in positive psychology and the film that I was working on at the time. And he brought me a copy of the DVDs that he had transferred from the old-fashioned VHS tapes and just said, you need to watch these because uh-huh. this is what you're on. And that's, that was my introduction to Joe. There you go. I think that, I think that, uh, you know how they say when, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Uh, I think that that's been the case with this book for a lot of people over time, um, that they counter either the book to hear with a thousand faces or certainly after Bill Moyers, uh, uh, interviews, people were passing that around and that's been shown you know, over and over again on public broadcast. In fact, it, it's it's the single most successful fundraising vehicle that they've had, um, w- which is kind of kind of amazing in and of itself. Uh, th- they were very concerned in the beginning that no one would pick it up. Only three stations aired it out of the gate. You know, when when people heard Bill say he was coming back to PBS and was going to do six hours of interviews with an eighty-year-old mythologist, that kind of was like, what? <laughs> you know, is there an audience for this? And uh, and and lo and behold, it just it just hit a spark. Well, you know, we're I, hungry. I mean, is, we, doesn't it tap into our hunger? It it does, and and it, but it taps and it taps into a perennial hunger. You, you know, matching your New York story it was like the third week of Power of Myth airing, and I was walking down uh, Broadway outside the old Barnes and Noble, and they dragged two folding tables onto the street, and someone had hand lettered to sign mythology, and they pulled out onto that. Native American literature and folklore and Arthurian material and uh, primitive archaeology and anthrop anything that they could think of that reflected back on these deep, long, timeless stories that have animated us for so long. And it is the story that we can look to and often find comfort in when we are experiencing trials and tribulations or when the other is happening, when we are experiencing peaks and euphoria and bliss in our lives, we can look to the map of the monomyth or the hero's journey to almost explain or define the steps of the journey. Well, at least to show us the outline, because the, the steps are going to be unique in our own. And, and, and that's, I think, where, where sometimes Joe's insightful round gets uh, kind of concretized into some of the steps that he referenced and other people have said, Oh, there's 43 steps in the hero's journey. Oh, there's 17. There's 164. Well, you know, each hero's journey is unique. And so there's going to be varied amounts of steps depending on, on who, who is on that journey. And, and, you know, the first time around, first time you enter a forest, you see things everywhere. Uh, Even if you're entering as the Knights did uh, where it was darkest and there was no path, everything's a new discovery. The second or third time down that path, the second or third time, you're sort of more or less doing the same journey because you had to do it again because you really didn't figure out what you were doing it for in the first place. Um, Suddenly, it it has a different time and a different tempo. So there's different steps. Um, At at core, it's separation from where you are, initiation um, into an experience that's transformative, and then a return back to where you are in a transformed state, bringing a boon or a gift, which is always for the community. And, and, and that's the part that I think 
uh, is important to remember. When a person gets in, in, in a really cut off a state psychologically, um, they often forget that they really do have a community. They live somewhere. They are a part of something. You know, on its largest scale, they're a part of this species on this blue marble in space. Um, but the, the hero always goes forward on a journey because something's missing where he or she is. Uh, mm. Something's missing in their land, in their community. And, and so they, they go on this experience not for their own benefit, but to come back to enliven or enrich the, the, the land that was barren when they left. Um, sometimes the hero comes back and, and, and you know, gets hung up on a cross, um, gets stoned, gets run out of town, gets called a crazy fool. It, it's not every hero who comes <laughs> back with, you know. I mean, it really is. It, it, it's true. Um, and that's 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 the message. So so it go you go round and round and 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 you know to to recognize that you'll do it again and again. Um, I want to leap uh, back one second, Lisa, to to reference your your you're talking about the importance of the story, because the hero's journey really is an outline for an array of stories that make up a lifetime. And there's little stories, and those little stories, as you get older, weave into bigger stories. And you reach my age, you know, and you're thinking of Schopenhauer looking back on realizing that, that his life reads like a novel that only he could have written. So, so there's stories within stories, but it is the importance of the story. You, you mentioned to me earlier that you were quite familiar with Pat Solomon's wonderful film, Finding Joe. And, and, and in that film, you'll recall David Miller uh, Joe's good friend and my colleague talks about Gilgamesh and how Gilgamesh goes out and all looking for this elixir and finally gets it and is so tired and sets it down on the on the side of the pond and goes for a swim and while he's swimming the snake comes along and gets the elixir of eternal life but Gilgamesh still goes back but he goes back not with a thing or as David calls it a tchotchka there <laughs> isn't anything like that right there's the story, and it's the story that endures. So we all have these experiences, but we also all have this innate human ability uh, to create narrative, to, to see our life as a story and to recognize that as dark as it is at a certain point or as bright as it is, that's not the end. <laughs> you know, it's right. going to go on. Um, so, 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 yeah, it, 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 the, the, the story we tell ourselves, and this is the unique human capability – I mean, in fact, I guess, you know, um, it's also to some extent the definition of psychosis. Uh, that is, if, if you're telling a story that no one else relates to, you know, that, that, then, then you're in trouble. Um, you're, not, you're not anchored or connected to a community, let alone a cosmos. Um, so, 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 you know, there, there is this necessity of, of, of using the story to, to – to, bring people in. And, and it's a danger today. I mean, who, who listens to each other's stories? We pay psychiatrists, right? <laughs> no, it, yeah. it used to be you sat with, with the family around the table or earlier than that, you sat back with, you know, around the campfire with, with your peers and, 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 uh, and, and you shared the stories of these adventures and they became woven into who you were. Um, but psychotically, for example, in science, the, the, you know, a type one error is most common error. And that's seeing patterns where there aren't any. So, so mm -hmm. having the community there as a mirror kind of, you know, keeps you from seeing phantoms where there's trees. Um, 
that someone else will say, well, you know, I was on the other side of that looking at it this way and here's how I saw it. And you can go, oh, also a good story. You know, I'm I'm thinking of the film Finding Joe, and I'm thinking of the of the, the the structure of story and how sharing our stories really is so important because it what connects us, it binds us, it helps heal us, but also we can connect with story as we do in this era by through cinema and so many of the themes that we see in movies and in Finding Joe's that there are a lot of them listed with The Wizard of Oz, um, The Matrix. Star Wars, uh, Rocky, so many of these movies speak to us. They speak to our, our, our own journey, our own stories, our own challenges. And that is the beauty in my estimation, and you know this already, but in bringing this work to people who are undergoing something. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, the thing I think to put in perspective here is you know, when Joe talked about uh, the most important part of a myth being that it animates and, and makes magical every aspect of your existence, well, that's very easy to understand if, if you were in, in, in a, a cut-off primitive tribe or in, in Europe during the Renaissance when all the things around you, every aspect, the rituals of ceremony, the songs, the images, the art, the dances, all reinforced the story about who you were and who your society and what your society was and its place in the cosmos and 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 did create this mythical magical um sense of belonging and attachment and joyousness that Campbell says it's supposed to do um so we don't have that anymore but we do have the benefit of 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 film uh, w- which takes us to parts of the world we've never known which uses image and sound and motion to create an analogous kind of reality um, that be, can become a common story that we all share. And certainly all the reference in Finding Joe, the, the great films that we're talking about, become part of the popular culture because they do that. And they speak to us that way. You know, it's interesting. Last week I um, was finishing up a module. I show the film in, in three parts. And then the fourth part of the, the hero's journey in recovery has to do with writing one's own journey or beginning to at least draft one's own journey, you know, pen to paper. And the clients started talking about The Wizard of Oz. And this was initiated by them, not myself. And they said, you know, it's been decades since we've seen this film, even the younger adults, even the 20-somethings. The can, we, can we see it again? We want to understand Dorothy's journey. We want to relate it to our own. And it was so sweet. I said, okay, I'm going to buy it. And I bought the 75th anniversary <laughs> edition of it, which I'm going to start showing to them this week. Oh, that's, that's, that's wonderful. All of these great stories uh, in their ma- various manifestations going all the way back to the earliest recorded history will resonate with us again if we just open ourselves to them. Agreed. We are going to go to a break. And when we come back, I want to know about how you stepped into the forest onto your journey with Joe and then the great works that you're doing at the Joseph Campbell Foundation. But first, we're going to take that break and I'm going to send our listeners over to www.jcf.org. And that is the Joseph Campbell Foundation. On Facebook, it is the Joseph Campbell Foundation, and there is a second group page uh, for Joseph Campbell. It's just, uh, I guess you can sign up to be a part of the group, Bob? Yep, yep, yep. Excuse me, you can indeed. 
There we go. We are going to go to the break. And when we return, we're going to continue on the adventure with Bob Walter and the Joseph Campbell Foundation about the hero's journey. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress-Kamen author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H-Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress-Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question? What makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We're talking with Bob Walter, who is the president and executive director of the Joseph Campbell Foundation. And we're talking about the power of myth, the power of the hero's journey to identify and engage us in the interconnectedness of the human experience. So, Bob, I want to ask you how you jumped on or entered the path of the work of Joseph Campbell yourself many years ago. Well, it was really serendipitous. Uh, There are some big moments in it. I was on the founding faculty at California Institute of the Arts and mentored a number of students in various areas. And because there were so many of them, I needed a text. And so I used the hero with a thousand faces. Subsequently, I was on some panels about experiential education. And I crossed paths a couple times with Harold Taylor, who was then the president of Sarah Lawrence. And he asked if I knew Joe and his wife, Jean. And I said I knew Jean's work because I was in the theater at that point. And, uh, and, I, and I knew Joe's Books And he said, well, you need to meet them when you come to New York because your art form is like jeans, but your rhetoric is pure Campbell. So mm. I went to New York. I was in the professional theater. I, I was a 
production manager at Lincoln Center and worked on Broadway and, and stayed sort of in touch with Joe and Jean. But first I met them, I actually did meet them at a dinner party Harold gave. Uh, many years, some years later, I, I met a woman who was then managing the Stratford Festival who became my wife. And uh, when we were living, we, I'd abandoned the theater. We were living in upstate New York or in Vermont where we were working on an inn and she thought somebody needed a real job and went into New York and uh, <laughs> ultimately ended up um, ended up as executive director of the Theater of the Open Eye, which was Joe and Jean's theater. That happened simultaneously with my decide, with my taking a job in Savannah. Um, <laughs> just I took uh, took the job, and the next day she got offered the position with Joe and Jean. So. Uh, I came back after running a first season in Savannah and we had this big dinner and I heard about this um, book uh, of Joe's that was being um, put together in Europe uh, and the company, the, the, the unit of McGraw-Hill uh, was dissolved and what were they going to do and he only had a, you know, lived in this little two-room apartment and two days later I got fired. I'm long distance. <laughs> and so I joined my wife and Joe that weekend and you know I was their tech guy. And Joe and I went to lunch and I said, you know, we've got a spare bedroom, you know, and my situation's changed a little. If I can be of service, if you want to send that stuff back to me, um, I'll see if I can make sense of it. Um, and while you go on your lecture tour and then you and Fred can go make your book. And yeah. that evolved into a three-year adventure and us starting a publishing company and and uh, uh, the Moyers and uh, we published a whole bunch of other things and, um, and then Joe died. And uh, so I ended up winding down the publishing company and uh, then completing the Atlas uh, and the rest that was published. But it was completely a series of serendipitousness on all of our parts. I mean, after three years of trying to get this thing published and working on it, mortgaging our homes and everything else to keep this business going, Joe gathered us uh, in Fred Vandermark, our, our third part, third leg, if you will, in at the New York Athletic Club and said, guys, we have to do it ourselves. And, what do you mean says fred fred says joe says well bob's the editor i'm a writer you're the you're the publisher let's just make a just make a publishing company and, isn't and that did. the way i mean yeah. joseph campbell he's got probably his one of his most famous quotes follow your bliss and the universe will open doors for you where there were only walls yes and after he died he was accused of that being an apologia for yuppie acquisitiveness <laughs> com- completely misses the point the the other thing in this whole story that that, that strikes me that another Joe Joeism is uh, you know you have to be willing to let go of the life you've planned in order to have the life that's waiting for you. And, you know my 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 life has been a series of 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 serendipitous encounters and my following a road less taken and and you know le- often leaving behind baffled colleagues uh, and, and not really knowing why. Um, but but you have you know but being willing to to let go like you know the the snake shedding its skin uh, to grow. Um, yeah. Christopher Reeve has a a wonderful quote that says a hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. Yeah, <clears throat> good definition. I I, I also think that. That the hero is God's fool who's in service to a greater cause. Oh, I like that one. That, that's my own little shorthand version. That's a Bobism. That's a Bobism. <laughs> 
Um, but I mean, I think that it's important because we think of the heroes in these large, noble terms. Now, now we've had anti-heroes, and 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 contemporary literature is starting to you know fill up with you know the Peter Parkers who become the Spider Men. But typically, the hero has been this this you know other character. Um, I, I also want to toss one other thing out here, Lisa, in, in terms of talking about the hero. I, I, when I was doing a bunch of interviews uh, for with Bill Shatner, that became. Uh, William Shatner's Get a Life. Uh, at one point, I said, "Bill, I hate to abuse you, but you weren't the hero." And he said, "What? Huh. Well, I thought they came to see me." And I said, "No." And he said, "Well, who was the hero?" And I said, "It was the Enterprise. It was the Enterprise that went where no man had gone before." And the reason the series endured is because there were always three people on the bridge. There was always each backed the other up. Each had fatal flaws that made for great drama, but together. They were able to man the enterprise and carry it on. And, and, and it's led me to think that we're in an age really where we've come past the swashbuckling hero. We've come past the wimp turned hero. Um, and we're really dealing with the ensemble hero that it takes, it takes a bunch of us together to envision something new. It's, it's the blind man and the elephant. Um, if, if, if we only, if one guy, you know, we're going to have a, a great elephant trunk and nothing else. Um, it takes at least three points of view in this three-dimensional universe to isolate a figure in space. Uh, I think it takes a number of us functioning sort of as an ensemble hero. Again, it's, it's, it's not unlike the Knights of the Round Table if you take the bigger view, and that is they all go out, and as I alluded earlier, each enters the forest where it's darkest and where there was no path, but they're all on the same quest. And then they come back together around the round table and they share their stories. And the, the quest then takes on a multi-dimension uh, that, that, that n none of them alone could, could have envisioned. So I, I like to think about today being the era of the ensemble hero. I agree with you. I agree with you from my own experience in my own life and then watching clients in their process, in their active process. And the journey can only perpetuate, it seems, in my, from my own observation now, successfully in this ensemble form, that it really does take that village, that sense of belonging and connection and love to make it happen. Uh, you know, exactly. And, and, and when, you know, Joe's four functions of a myth, which I alluded to earlier, from the mystical to the cosmological, sociological, and down to the individual, that individual, if that story isn't woven together with this community, um, which becomes the ensemble, which becomes the unit that functions in this larger cosmos and, and, and enables you to, to stand under that night sky um, and, and be awestruck even as you're humbled, uh, you know, to, to not need to run away from reality and uh, from consensus reality. Uh, you don't have to embrace it. You don't have to run from it. You don't have to retreat. You know, you, you can stand in because you're in service to something else. You're in service to this collective vision. And if that is, if that is recovery and if that is the mutuality of support that, that is necessary to recover from, well, from substances or from grief or from trauma or from accident, you know, that, that's the, the, the fabric we have to make for each other because the fabrics that have held us together in the past, religion and family and tribe, nowadays all too often tear us apart. So we have to find our own intentional, you know, community, and that 
community becomes the ensemble hero and and we're one thread in 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 a in a in a much stronger braid as a result mm. that was beautiful and that's a bobism no that's just me talking from my heart because you yeah. asked no but I, I i agree with you i mean it is what i I bear witness to on a daily basis. And it makes me think of Joseph Campbell's, um, one of his famous Joe-isms. A hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. Yes, that's service. That, that, that to me, is why that, that word is so important. You're in service to something bigger. And, you know, I came out of the, uh, many years in the theater, and, you know, and I think if, you, if, you, if you're in an in any form of art, you're always in service to something. You're in service to the play or you're in service to the symphony or you're in service to the song or you're in service to the dance or you're in service to the clay or the marble or the paint and what it's going to render. You know, you, it, it, you, the athlete who's in the zone is in service to the game. Um, the, the, we, ha- we see this over and over again. Uh, you know, the policeman who risks his own life, you know, to help another is in service to that humanity that they both share. Mm. So true. And I, I, I think the takeaway for me with the hero's journey and certainly what I love to impart with people I get to work with is that sense of service, that sense of higher higher purpose or meaning in life that actually begins to diminish our suffering when we see ourselves as part of a larger picture. Well, happiness research tells us that that's the number one thing that happy people have in common. Indeed, indeed. And it's been very much a part of my own journey. And, you know, to, to quote another Joeism, you know, find a place inside where there is joy and the joy will burn out the pain. That's the elixir. That's the elixir. That's the <laughs> Hindu fire in which all things are consumed. That's indeed. the Holy Ghost coming down and blessing you if, you, if that's your story. But Amen, when, right? <laughs> you, know, the, the, you know, your show is Harvesting Happiness. You you have to harvest it, you know. You yeah. have you have to plant the seeds. You have to sustain it, and then you have to be willing to go out and celebrate and harvest it, and know that another season will come. You'll go on another journey, and God willing, you'll come back to a table with friends and colleagues, and you'll raise a glass and you'll salute each other's adventures. And boy, will you have good stories! Indeed, indeed, and this has been a beautiful story for the time that we've gotten to share together. I just want to allow our visit our visitors and our visitors and our listeners know that they can connect with you at the Joseph Campbell Foundation and what kind of activities go on there well the the foundation has an, uh, uh, had a website since nineteen ninety five we're right in the middle of a crowdfunding campaign to tear the whole thing down and rebuild it. We have conversations of a higher order. Uh, we bring, but we have a large mythological resource database you can gather, and you have, uh, and we have uh, uh, these mythological roundtables, which are self-organizing groups all all over the globe on five continents. Um, there's just there's a lot of it's it's a rich treasure trove, and we just try to be. We say we're a community of individuals and a network of information, and that's mm. what we try to be. Beautiful. To learn more, please visit www.jcf.org. On Facebook, it's Joseph Campbell. Campbell. Sorry, once again, on Facebook, the page is Joseph Campbell Foundation or Joseph Campbell Groups. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, 
place and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my magnificent guests today, Carol Pearson and Bob Walter, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and make it a fabulous one. And thanks to our producers who make us shine each and every week. We appreciate you. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.